Hello and welcome again, once more, to Heavy Meta, our 22nd episode. I am, again, Bryce Kundick, and I'm joined with my co-host... Kelly Boyven. And we have our first repeat customer. Yay. I mean, clearly we're either not scary enough or just too much fun. Uh, Michael Johnson, you're back. Oh, glad to be back. Thank you. Uh, you're, you're too much fun. We're oh, too much good, fun. Good. We should, you know, if we, if we were a book, that'd be on the cover. Too much fun. That would, that would be our blurb. Yep, our blurb. Um, so welcome back, and you're here today. So last time you talked about it was it was the cow, it was the cowboy. Yeah, cowboy so it was uh, the book was Hoodoo Cowboys and Bronze Buckaroos: Conceptions of the African American West was the book that I talked about last time, which was a book of literary literary and cultural criticism, writing about film, television, and literature. And this time it's something. Significantly different, it looks like. Tell us about it. Yes and no. Yes. And no. So, <laughs> yes. So it, it is significantly different in the sense that it is a biography. Um, it's a biography of a singer named uh, Taylor Gordon, who was famous in the 1920s as a singer of spirituals. Um, it's similar in the sense that I got introduced to Taylor Gordon because of my interest in the African American West. Uh, he is from Montana. Uh, was born in White Sulphur Springs, Montana. I grew up there, and while in White Sulphur Springs, became acquainted with uh, John Ringling of the Ringling Brothers Circus because Ringlings had a land development company and they were developing land. Um, he became um, John Ringling's personal porter on his railway car, his personal railway car, really? and that got Taylor from Montana to New York. And then once Taylor was in New York, he started making connections. He was always, always been interested in singing. And eventually the step was from Montana, John Ringling, New York, vaudeville, Carnegie Hall, right? Or there, wow. there's some more steps in the way there, but that was sort of the arc. So how well, how well known was he during, uh, during his heyday? Uh, he was extremely well known, surprisingly well known. Um, or should he be well known today? Or are you like Bryce? Come on, man! It's he should be well known today. He is not well known. Okay, today. so I, I got that. What you don't know about him is is not surprising in the least. Okay. So so in his day, um, he was frequently compared to Paul Robeson as as a performer of spirituals. Uh, frequently compared also to uh, Roland Hayes, who was another uh, classically trained. Uh, black singer who did more classical but also did like programs of spirituals in his concerts. I have not recognized a single name you said. You, you've recognized Paul Robeson. No. Right? No, so. No. Uh, no. Okay, so. We are I'm painfully apparently ignorant. My spiritual, uh, spiritual singing. Uh, well, well Paul Robeson, more than even spirituals, was like sort of the, the first really African American, one of the first African American celebrities. He was a football player at. Around maybe I'm not quite sure, uh, but he he used his sort of football fame to uh, start doing stage roles. Um, so he performed with Eugene O'Neill's uh, theater company. I recognize um, that name. Palmerston yeah. Players. So he uh, was in uh, several of their productions, including The Emperor Jones. Right. Um, he went to London and well, okay, so. You've heard of, uh, of Showboat, the musical. Yes, the musical, yes. You've I heard have. of Old Man River. Yes, right? I have. So Paul Robeson is the person, is the man in London who sang Old Man River and really created a sensation and oh, through his okay. performance of Old Man River. Uh, in the 1930s uh, film version of it, he also 
does the that version of Omen? Oh, okay. Well, right. now, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. it's an interesting trajectory, though. I I don't I don't know of any current football player football to you know singing trajectories. Yeah. I mean, or, or rap I maybe say, or football. Well, I think from sports to other performance careers. Okay. Right. Yeah, so, that's true. I mean, I guess you have like Shaquille O'Neal right. who became famous for such commercial, <laughs> commercial successes. <laughs> What was it? What was the genie movie he was in? Shazam? I want to say Shazam. Was close to that. Something like that, but Shazam's a new movie out. Maybe yeah. there's... Yeah, anyway. Sorry. <laughs> not, to br- <laughs> not to bring this up. Whoa. <laughs> the Michael's over here, like, citing all these, like, really great... And I'm That's like, right. Shaquille O'Neal was in that one movie about the genie. <laughs> yep. That's what Sorry, I do. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> Too much fun, like I said. Right, right, right. So... You're an English professor, right? And you wrote a biography of about an, uh, an African American uh, spiritual singer, right? That's, I mean, that. So you got turned on to it by the. Did someone right. say, "Hey," or was it through your research that you wanted to write more about? Did someone? Did was it? Was there an interview that you did? That I mean, like. So um, I was interested in because he he in his, so Taylor himself wrote an autobiography that was published in 1929 called Born to Be. And it's kind of a celebrity biography, but it's also really a biography of his childhood. Hmm. And so the, the first third of the book, I would say, is about his life growing up in, in White Sulphur Springs. And so it's kind of a rare, very detailed description of this African-American family who arrived in Montana when it was still a territory. So as, as a story of, of black pioneers, it's a really hmm. important book. How uh how, I mean, I don't want to say whitewashed was it, but you know what I mean, like, how authentic, I mean, like, yes, it's his autobiography, but at the same time, it was appearing to an audience in 1929. Right. How fully accurate was he able to be? Um, so, uh, he is usually pretty accurate. Okay. Right? Um, I mean, I'm sure he I knew mean, it was his own life. I just right, wonder, right. you know, were editors like, yeah, I don't want to, let's not put that in there. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> so, so they, they, editors probably apparently uh, suggested lots of things that he took out that should be taken out, but he kept them in. Huh. Right. So he told the story he wanted to tell. Now his, his, his picture of White Sulphur Springs is definitely, I wouldn't call it whitewashed, but I would say it's definitely serving a rhetorical purpose in his mm-hmm. book. Right. Uh, one of the things that he's interested in proposing is a kind of lifestyle that he describes as a pagan lifestyle. Uh, in which people embrace the pleasures of life, right? Um, but he also is kind of aware of what's going on in the 1920s with other writers, other black writers who want to sort of present sexuality as part of human experience, that they're coming up against stereotypes of black people that see them as overly sexualized. Mm. And so they're, they're trying to figure out a way, okay, how do I write about the full range of my experience without just recreating these stereotypes, mm. right? Or at least having the potential to recreate those stereotypes, and I think what his clever solution to that was was White Sulphur Springs, Montana, um, in which he has an entirely uh, white population except for his family, who love all the vices, <laughs> and he goes into great detail hmm. about uh, he himself working when he was a child for the brothels. Uh, he's an errand boy for the. For that the, was my first for job. The, for the sex yeah. workers, right? Yeah. No, yeah. Not, no, mom. It was not. <laughs> it came later. It wasn't his first job. Um, it's interesting that somebody who sounds like 
such a sensualist is yeah. went on to become a singer of spirituals, which are kind of traditionally gospel and religious yeah. music. So I, I don't uh, think I don't think Taylor saw the difference. <laughs> <laughs> So what do don't listen to the lyrics. Just yeah. sing the song, okay? Huh. Or he, I guess I should say he doesn't separate the sensual pleasures from the spiritual ones, right? Huh. That he doesn't have that kind of sense of uh, of sinfulness, meaning yeah. that, or especially sinfulness in the sense of sexuality, as being something that uh, that is they were mutually with the exclusive. Life, right? <laughs> right. Interesting. So, and uh, who published it? Uh, University of Mississippi Press. University right. of Mississippi. Uh, they have a series in African American studies. Uh, they also uh, have published several books about sort of forgotten uh, African American performers in the early 20s. So it seemed a good. So I was going to ask so as an academic, when you're looking to publish something, did, was this a situation where you wrote the book for, first and then contacted them and said, hey, it's already written? Or was it? You saw the series, and you're like, this would be cool to write, and you contacted them to be like, hey, could I write this? And which comes first? It comes, it comes first. What comes first probably depends on the person. Okay. I, my philosophy, I guess, is that I want to do the work, and I want the work to be done, and that's the important thing, is to have the thing written. So I didn't contact a publisher mm. until it was finished. Um, and that also left me the ability for this to... To go on, <laughs> so I probably the first time, so the the archive of material that is related to Taylor Gordon is at the Montana Historical Society in in Helen, Montana. They have his papers there, and I think the first time that I went to visit that archive was two thousand four, hmm. and so I sort of worked on this for uh, well, like what, fifteen, 15 years? years, yeah, right. Um, so it, I wasn't pressured by making a too early commitment to okay. finishing something that, you know, and I was able to let the, the, the project grow. It actually grew into two books. Um, the, the first book is about Taylor Gordon, and the second book is uh, about his sister Rose. Um, he had a sister? He had a sister and four brothers. What did Rose do? Uh, she stayed in White Sulphur Springs, Montana, and uh, lived her entire life there, and uh, she operated a restaurant in town with her mother. Um, they were able to, I guess for, for something like 30 years or more, survive and prosper with this restaurant that they operated. Um, she also started writing letters to the local newspaper and that developed into columns. And so she became a writer as well. Right? Mm -hmm. her, 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 op, her audience was the the readers of the newspaper, right? She wrote newspaper columns and letters. Um, but so she's, I mean, she ended up being a, a pretty interesting person yeah. uh, for, for a lot of reasons. Um, and I did not even realize, I didn't really know much about her because in, in Taylor's autobiography, I think he gives her two sentences. <laughs> he was the youngest and she was like one of the older, right? Huh. And he really didn't seem to spend much time uh, talking about her in the, in the autobiography. Uh, but, but because of his papers being there, hers were as well, right? Yeah. So, so there's a, a big collection of material related to both of them. And it was a twofer. I, yeah. <laughs> and I, initially, I thought the biography was going to be a, a twofer as well. It would be about both of them. But it just got, it got too long. Huh. <laughs> and it didn't really... It didn't. It didn't really make. 
they live so much of their lives apart. Yeah. Once I got into the actual writing of the autobiography, it just didn't. Yeah. It wasn't coming it wasn't, together wasn't as a meshing, whole. Yeah. Right. I'm curious to know if there are any sound recordings that still exist of him. Have you have you heard him? Have you heard Taylor Gordon sing? Um, yes. So so yes, with some qualifications. <laughs> so uh, in the 1930s, there was a studio in New York where you could go and make talking letters. Mm-hmm. Is what it was called. Yeah. You would go in, and what they would do is they would record you on. A metal disc, mm-hmm. and the metal disc would uh, you would get you would get the metal disc back with a bunch of um, wooden needles, <laughs> and so you would put the wooden needle in whatever device that you would use to, to listen to it, and put it all in the mail, send it to whoever you wanted to send it to, and they could play your letter. So they also clearly had it equipped to do some sort of musical recording because the the two letters of his that are still, that I know about anyway, that are in existence, um, he's there with an accompanist and he sings songs as well as uh, has a little talking part where he huh. addresses the uh, recipients. So he sent a letter to his sister Rose. Uh, he also sent a letter to uh, Carl Van Vechten, who was a patron for a lot of the, the Harlem Renaissance artists. And were these still in the Montana collection? Um, the, the, the Carl Van Vechten um, disc is in uh, the, um, the Yale Library. I'm not sure. If, I think it's probably not in the, the, Bennett, the Beinecke, but in the Gilmore Music. Okay. I, can't, I can't remember the name of the, uh, of the I music. I trust you. Yeah, so it's, it's, at, it's at Yale. Uh, if, if you want to go look for it, go to Yale. You'll, you'll find it or, or huh? email them. Um, and then, but the other one, yeah, is in Montana. Uh, one of his sister is still there. So, is the sister book is is that finished as well? It's it's at, it's being reviewed. It's under review. Okay, so you right. submitted it also right. to another yeah. same press. Different uh, press? No, I sent it to the uh, Montana Historical Society Press. Okay, right. Um, I think it's going to. Ha- I think the readership for that is not going to be as national as right. the, the Taylor Gordon story. Right. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, the recordings are interesting. I mean, just, they're they're hard to listen to because they're scratchy and, mm. and maybe that, that sort of like weird noise that you get when you, when you listen to a warped record, right? Yeah. Um, out of metal. Yeah, 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 out of metal, right? But um, I, I thought that they were just revealing because what I heard in the recordings was not what I had heard in or not what I had read about in the few reviews that I had read at that point. Oh, like what do you mean? They weren't matching up. Um, the, the, the reviewers that I had read sort of talked about Taylor Gordon as if he were um, Paul Robeson or another Paul Robeson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Robeson's uh, voice was not trained. It was an excellent warm voice, but he didn't have uh, musical training, vocal training, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you get a lot of references to the authenticness of the voice, right? the simplicity of the voice. And uh, Taylor had vocal training, right? He was a classically trained performer. Huh. And it's obvious when you hear, hear hear the sound of him singing, he sounds as much like, um, uh, as much like uh, Caruso, right, as he does okay. Paul Robeson, right? Hmm. Um, and in fact, Taylor says that he, <laughs> he taught himself to sing by listening to Caruso records at low speed so he could 
get all the tricks of what the voice was doing. Oh. Um, but he also, but he also attended. A, there was a school in the nineteen uh, tens in in Harlem called the uh, Colored Music Settlement, and it was a program that offered uh, underprivileged kids, underprivileged people, a chance to have a classical education, a conservatory education, essentially. So do you suppose that people said he was not necessarily well trained because they didn't count that as being well trained? I didn't hear. I mean. It, it, it's very weird to read some of these reviews. It's like the reviewers already know what they're hearing, which is and what they know, which is that this is folk music that untrained musicians perform and sing, hmm. and that's what they heard, mm -hmm. right? Uh, or at least some of them did. As I got as I got further, as I read more and more reviews, it did. It, I got a better sense then of how those re the reviews as a whole match better what I was hearing, right? Okay. Uh, but but the sort of the earliest reviews I had read had sort of suggested to me that I was going to hear something a lot more folk like a folk musician than an opera singer, yeah. right? But his voice is operatic, uh, as much as anything else. So you'd said uh, when we were um, before we started recording that you're a trustee scholar right now. Yeah. What is what does that mean? Or trustee professor. Trustee professor. Yeah. Okay. So the the trustee professorship is. Uh, it's, I think it comes from the system, from the main system. Honestly, I don't know if it's at every school. I assume that it is, but the, we get one per year at UMF. So one person each year is the, the trustee professor, and um, you get a, a stipend and a travel allowance and a, a teaching remission. So mm -hmm. I, I guess half time. So I'm teaching half time this year. Um, then uh, for uh, as one of my duties, I'll, I'll I'll do a presentation at Symposium Day. Oh, excellent! Right. So and on on whatever you're researching this semester or this this year. Yeah, which is completely different than anything we've talked about thus far. Can you tell? No. Us? Is it a yeah. surprise? No. Not a surprise. Uh, well, I guess I should say it, it sort of goes back to my earlier interest in the Western. Uh -huh. um, and so what I'm looking at specifically for the uh, for the uh, trustee proposal was. Uh, time travel and westerns, and so time travel and westerns. Yes. Wow, yes. that's cool. that's a cool combination. Yeah. And it happens more often than you think. <laughs> I'm, sitting here, I'm trying to think of time travel and what I mean. Like you've got Westworld where there's some time travel elements, but not literal time right, travel. Right. But just, so, but this would be so either time travel where someone in the present goes back to the old west, or characters from the Old West get brought into the present. Okay. Right? It, it actually happens both ways. Right? Hmm. Um, so, let's see. Or, uh, or there's also a novel that involves dinosaur farming. Or, so they hire, a they hire cowboys to sort of go back in time and raise dinosaurs. Because who better to right. raise da dinosaurs than a cowboy? Yeah. 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 Some dinosaurs. Yeah. yeah. What... Give me some examples. I can't because I'm I'm still trying to think of one. So like, well, okay. The the one example that is probably be the best known would be Back to the Future. I was three. gonna say. Okay, I Back knew to the Future one. three. Look at ah. Oh, yes, I got that one. Which, bravo to Kelly because she rarely I, yeah gets a pop culture anything. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Just I mean anyone who's been listening to us for a while can can vouch for Movie that. references usually right over my head. So Back to the Future 3, that's true. Right, that's probably the the, uh, the paradigm. Uh, <laughs> but if you go back, but if you have to go back, if you go back even further, like there's uh, the first season of Doctor Who, 
Um, there's an episode where they go to um, Tombstone, right? okay, and are present at the events at the OK Corral. I guess the the setup for that is that the doctor has a toothache, and he goes for for, for some reason I don't recall if there's actually any explanation of this, but he decides that the person to cure his toothache is Doc Holliday. Well, of course, immediately so, I mean, when I got it, I, you know, if I could have some eighteen hundreds yeah. dentistry, 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 that would be yes. way better than anything I can get. That's right. Today. The future, or the future. Right. Do you have any rusty drills? Yeah, I'd like a rusty drill right here. Yeah, a couple of shots of whiskey. Yeah. If there's even like a. So it, so that's like, you know, there's a time machine there, right, the TARDIS, um, but there are episodes of Star Trek, there's an episode of the original Star Trek also set at the OK Corral, okay. or which is or a reproduction of it. Do you go into, I mean, to Sir, well, like Firefly doesn't count. Does it count? I mean, it's that not time, time well, because no. it's, it's, it's a, Western right. in the future. It's a weird no, Western or speculative Western, right? right? It, doesn't you know, it, it would count for for the larger project. I think is going to be more about that type of thing. Yeah. That what I would call a speculative western or a weird western. Right? Okay. It's a hybrid western with science fiction. Like cowboys versus war. aliens. That would be a. a yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. That I've would be a weird that. western. Not a time travel <laughs> narrative, but, but a weird western definitely. Yeah. Bone tomahawk. I haven't seen that yet. You haven't seen bone tomahawk. Look at that. Yeah. See now. Ooh, yeah, you can that. take your spiritualist. It's the old <laughs> session. Right. Bone Tomahawk stands out in my uh, mind for being one of the grisliest, having one of the grisliest ways of killing a person that I've ever seen on screen. Does it involve, does this involve zombies or? Yeah, there's some zombies in it, and then they cut a man in half. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I didn't need to see that. Yeah. But yeah. I've seen it now, and I can't forget it. <laughs> yeah. So you, you might not want to see Bone Tomahawk, but uh, it's definitely a weird western. It, it, yeah. <laughs> definitely. How did we get to this? I I've lost the, the train. <laughs> but you know, uh, so so that's that's you know that's that's the next project. So on that's the symposium. Thing. That's the symposium thing. And so I get to we can we can go and listen to your lecture. And, the symposium. and I will show clips from time travel westerns. I will show pages from the Black Panther from uh, a uh, episode of the Black or a issue of the Black Panther where they go back to the old west and so uh, called. Uh, Saddles ablaze, with a very knowing reference there and throughout mm. to blazing saddles, which, which would qualify. Well, I mean that's that would be a weird western. That would be a weird western, yeah. Even though they're using modern stuff, but they're not literal time travelers. Right, they're not really time traveling. That we're that we know. That we know. I mean, maybe maybe they were. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, once they break through that wall into the the musical. That's theme. true. <laughs> it, it, yeah. it counts, right? Yeah. You've seen Blazing Saddles, right? Yeah. Uh, parts of it. No, I've never seen the whole thing all the way through. You're missing out. <laughs> That's a great movie. Nobody gets cut. In Horses time. were harmed in the making of that movie. They punched a horse they in the did face. Punch a horse, didn't they? But was it? Did they or, literally punch a horse? I, mean, I, I don't think so. so. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think anyone can punch a horse that that hard. Or else the horse was specially trained to fall over. I think that was probably the case. Yeah, it was excellent acting on the part of the horse. Yes, it was very good acting. Yes. Um, Okay, so this one, when did this, when did Can't Stand, to, to bring this back to yes. the, the book, when Circle did Can't the Stand Still uh, come out? Uh, came out in February. So it's just been out a little bit. Yeah. Okay. And um, the title comes from uh, the spiritual Standstill Jordan, which was Taylor's sort of signature song. Hmm. There's just, a, there's a line in there, uh, the spiritual, I think it's like a call and response line. Uh, the call is Standstill Jordan, and the response is Can't Stand Still. Okay. So the, the title comes from his, one of his signature songs, right, that, that he was known for performing. 
So you've got this one coming, then maybe the sister book coming out. Right, hopefully. And you've got research on Western time travel. Do you, are there any other books in the work? I mean, you like a library, a walking library <laughs> of books. So I sort of in the weird Western category, I have been working with some, some colleagues in Western literature, and we're doing an anthology of criticism on weird Westerns called uh, Race and Gender in the Weird Western. Okay. And that's also under review currently uh, at the University of Nebraska Press. I'm looking at that. Okay. So that's, you know, I only re I only contributed one chapter to that, but the work is one yeah, of the it counts. Chapters. Yeah, it definitely it counts. counts. Yeah. So um, you said weird westerns, and so now I'm, I'm going, of course, through all the different uh, movies in my head and scenes in my head. The and I, I got to know uh, the. The scene in what is it? In the last season of uh, Game of Thrones, where they're atta attacking the uh, the supply train. Right. It was filmed sort of like a western. Does it count as a as a weird western, or does it not count as a weird western? Because it's drawing on tropes right. from the western, but it's with dragons. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and is clearly meant to evoke Monument Valley. Yes. As well. I mean, like, it is. They're they're certainly making references to the western. I don't right? know. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. If I, I guess I'd maybe, maybe, maybe put it this way. I'm not sure that I could write a paper of 25 pages on the Game of Thrones as a weird Western. Oh, come on. But Have that, faith but, in yourself. You could do it. <laughs> that scene, sir, sure. <laughs> but, the, but, that's, but that scene, I thought, the battle, I think, to me, stood out. Right. In part because it's using Western tropes that I'm not seeing elsewhere. It's true. Right? It's not elsewhere that I... Yeah. Well, I mean, Dothraki maybe a bit with the horses and stuff, but not quite the same. You mean you you know in some ways like the the western is at the core of almost any popular genre. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there, there are so many ways in which the western has been transformed. Well, because so much of early cinema right. exactly. was western. Right. I mean, like that's what cinema like thrived on. Yeah, and and dime novels mm -hmm. really even earlier. So there there are going to be there are going to be western elements. I think in almost anything. Right, and I guess I'm mostly interested in those kind of uh, narratives that are very explicit about it, that draw our attention. Right. Like, like Firefly being a good example, right, of, of a science fiction Western that really draws our attention to those roots in the Western. Right. So did you want to be a cowboy when you grew up, when you were a kid? Well, I grew up in the, I grew up in the 60s when everything <laughs> on television was a Western. Like 40% right? like right? of Western You had television. no choice, Kelly. No choice. Every kid had to want to be a cowboy. Although I, I think I mostly wanted to be Daniel Boone. but Ah, uh, yes. Well, that was a pretty cool hat. It's so. a pretty cool hat, yeah. yeah. Daniel Boone? I mean, I know the name, but what hat? I mean, I know he had the, the coonskin coon cap. cap. Well, I always think of Davy Crockett with this coonskin cap. He was cap. there first with it, and then Disney put out the Daniel Boone. And oh, there was a... Okay, wait, am I getting things? Because didn't, didn't Disney do Davy Crockett with the yes. coonskin hat? Yeah, yeah. So what, they were like, coonskin hats, they're cool, give them to this guy, too. It was a thing. Or that came event. first. The um, Davy Crockett came first. First, right? I'm trying to remember. The OG coonskin hat. <laughs> Although I'm trying to remember if Fess Parker also played Davy Crockett, because Fess Parker played uh, Daniel Boone. Oh, so maybe they were just like, ah. Give me I don't the hat. Yeah, I don't remember if that's the case or not. Just use the same hat. Uh, <laughs> It'll be fine. It was, uh, off the hat. Hard, hard to tell the difference, I guess. Okay. Um, they were interchangeable. 
Except one's got the, the great Davy Davy Crockett. Crockett. See, yes. I don't. The, did Daniel Boone write a? Oh, Daniel Daniel Boone was a man, a real man. <laughs> no, I know he was. Yeah, no, 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 sorry. About that's the lyrics. Killed him oh, a bear. Yeah. yeah, killed him a bear when he was only three. No, that so was, was Davy Crockett. Crockett. Oh, that was Davy Crockett. Yeah. Oh gosh, I'm getting my pioneer guys in fur hats mixed so up. So I, I hope at the, at the end of, <laughs> of this episode that you will locate versions of both these songs. And I, okay, and I will. That way we know. So I'll put it on the blog post. A little theme song, Daniel Boone versus uh, Davy Crockett. Um, I, I do not have the rights to the uh, Taylor Gordon recordings. And I'm not sure, yeah, I, I'm not sure how if the quality would work that yeah. well uh, on the radio either. Um, they did. They did. Um, he and his he and his performing partner, uh, Jay Roseman Johnson. They also did some recordings for. They recorded for Victor, and Brunswick labels. So they did test did tests for them, huh. and so there were test pressings that I've seen referred to. As far as I know, I haven't seen them cataloged anywhere. It's still being in existence. So if you're listening to this and you're sitting on on those, yes. I know someone Secret would be trope. very interested in listening to them. Because I think I even I even contacted someone at one of the one of the record I can't remember if it was Brunswick or or uh, the other or or Victor, but they said that you know that they had a list of these what they had they had a list of was of the recording studio time, so they had a list of oh the, they, in they the were there yeah, they but were there. they don't have the actual recording. Yeah, they don't have the actual recordings they, they did write me back and say these things pop up all the time you know, someone's got it in, a, in an attic somewhere. Mm. Um, should make a Facebook meme. Yeah. That that'll get you know, we'll travel around and someone be like, oh yeah, I got I got yeah. that. The um the uh, the 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 music library at Yale has Rosamund Johnson's papers, and if anybody was going to have a test pressing that survived, it seems like he would have it. It would be there with the rest oh. of his papers, but they don't, don't have it. They don't have the catalog anyway. Mm-hmm. You can go spelunking in the archives somewhere. Kelly can vouch for how much fun that is. That is that is fun, fun stuff. Well, we are out of time. Half hour flies by. It does when when you're talking about everything from spiritual to time songs to time travel and westerns and everything. To coonskin hats. This has been uh, Michael Johnson. His book once more is called "Can't Stand Still." It's available everywhere books are sold. Amazon. It's available on Amazon. Available at the press's website. I don't know about everywhere books are sold. So. <laughs> Some places Devaney's? books Would it be are sold. Devaney's? Does he have any copies? No, of I haven't mentioned it. I need to, to let him know okay. about that. Um, it's also available in uh, ebook form as well. Oh, so, right. I, I, do we have a copy at the library? We we do. Yes. I don't know. Okay, we need. To, we will have a copy at the library. We will soon. make it happen. We will make it happen. Yes. Thank you, thank, Michael. Oh, yep, thank you for coming. This was so much fun. Thanks for listening. <laughs>